Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, NBC. Uh, welcome to worship. We, uh, if you're joining us online, we're so grateful to have you with us as well. Uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 today. If you've got a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and get it open and cranking, and we will, we will get there in just a moment. Um, boy, what a happy Labor Day weekend, everybody. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like in the old yearbooks, you could say, uh, hey, stay cool or whatever. I mean that very literally to you this weekend. I'm so glad to have um, each of you here today braving the heat uh, to come out here in California. Those of you who were with us uh, before we moved into this spot and remember the old Juniper building, a day like this uh, would have been uh, one for the ages and, uh, and, and people would have scattered uh, abroad because we would have baked in that building. I'm so grateful uh, to have an AC that works in this building. So on a day like this, thank you, Lord. All right, amen. Yeah, and all the, and, and all the people said, amen. All right, good. All right. Uh, week one, we're talking in a series on work. We're talking today about work ethic. Uh, and it may be a little counterintuitive. This is Labor Day weekend, and so aren't we supposed to be patting ourselves on the back for what hard workers we are, celebrating the fact that, that many of us don't have to work tomorrow and everything. And by all means, uh, if you have the day off, God bless you. I hope it's amazing. I hope you grill some burgers, do whatever it is that you do. Uh, but I also realize from experience preaching on Labor Day weekends over the years that not everybody has a day off. And so I would have people come up to me and, and they would leave church upset because I had just reminded them so profoundly that they had, did not have the day off tomorrow. And so they were mad that I, I was talking about Sabbath and rest and everything like that. And they just got resentful about it. And I thought, you know, uh, let's talk about work ethic. Uh, on Labor Day weekend. Let's save that one for Labor Day weekend because either if you are working tomorrow, you can um, go hopefully into it with some, some meaning and some resolve. And if not, uh, then let it be a reminder to you of, of what's waiting for you on Tuesday and that you're ready to charge the hill uh, on Tuesday, okay? So week one of this series, we talked about the nature of work, that it was part of God's plan for our lives even before uh, the fall. It was something he tells Adam, he creates the Garden of Eden, invites Adam to come with him, to tend it, to work with him in, in keeping it, that work is something that God thinks is meaningful and that we were always supposed to do. Now, when the fall happens, there's, there's some adjustments that get made there. So now we've got to work in order to eat and to provide uh, food for our families and stuff, but God helps us do that. So instead of us gardening for pleasure, so to speak, we now have to work the soil to get what we need. Every rose now has its thorn, so to speak. In week two, last week, we talked about work ethics, about how important it is that we be honest to people in the workplace and how a work ethic is a piece of that. But we've kind of been saving that discussion for today because unethical practices are not just a rebellion against our bosses, but they're against God. Because one of the premises of this series, and we're, we're actually going to take the text that is, is usually studied whenever you talk about work, Colossians 3, uh, that God is actually our boss. We don't have an earthly boss in the classic sense. I mean, we call him that for earthly reasons. But in reality, whenever it is, whatever you do, you've really got one boss. And your boss is God. And the good news is he is benevolent. He's kind. He's sacrificial. And he's already demonstrated his love for us by laying himself down for us before he asks anything of us. And when the scriptures then say, okay, God's in heaven and he's calling you to work, the Lord Jesus is the one that you're serving, then I don't need to go into that going, oh, I got another boss, bummer. No, 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 that's totally different. We have a benevolent, kind boss who is calling the best out of us. 
and saying your life and your work has meaning. And when we use work, that could be, you could be a student. That might be your work right now. You could be a stay-at-home parent. That could be your work right now. Whatever it is that you primarily do between, say, 8 and 5 with a third of your life, that's what we're talking about today. Now, uh, I don't know anybody that thinks laziness is a virtue. Certainly when I look out at the church, I, I see some of the hardest working people I know. Um, you serve diligently even in the church. You work hard at your, at your jobs. And I doubt that I would go to anybody and say, hey, do you think being lazy is a good thing? And you go, oh, yeah, I think it's great. You know, or, yeah, when I, when, I, uh, when, I, when I go find a future spouse, I really hope to find somebody who's, who's, who's adequately lazy. Nobody thinks it's a virtue. The Bible certainly does not. We talked about Genesis. And between Genesis and by the time you get to the book of Proverbs, there are all sorts of stories that illustrate it. But by the time that you get to the wisdom literature of the Bible, laziness really becomes a big thing. Like it becomes dominant in the wisdom literature as though Solomon, David, others who are talking about what it means to live the wise life really see this as a primary problem. So much so that, you know, we have the Ten Commandments. Those are supposedly the big ten in the New Testament. You've got the greatest command. The seven deadly sins, as we call them, right there in the middle of the seven deadly sins is sloth. Sloth. Sluggardness. Laziness. Slow. Right? Everything slow, plodding stuff. You know, the, the idea of being lazy or choosing whether or not you're going to work or not, and if you do, doing just enough to stay employed is so foreign to the Bible. The idea that we would waste our lives saying, okay, I'm going to be, and I mean, we've got some unique vocations in this room. We've got pro athletes and coaches and teachers and pastors and stay-at-home parents and uh, musicians and people that do all sorts of interesting things, what a shame it would be to say, you know what, I just want to work at my craft as a musician just enough that I don't embarrass the church when I'm up there. You know, I want to teach just well enough that the students that are in the grade that I'm teaching walk out of here and don't immediately reflect poorly on me as a teacher, meaning they're literate by the time they get to 10th grade. I'm going to teach that well. As a, as a pastor, you know, my, my life's goal is to preach sermons uh, that are just okay. So that when people read the scriptures, they don't see it as the most exciting, important book in the world, which is what it is, they, they pick it up like I would pick up Ladies Home Journal. Like, like, okay, I'm in a dentist's office, I'm trapped there, there's nothing else to do. Read the vomit bag on the plane. You know, that level of interest, okay? I mean, how what a travesty that would be, right? I mean, you just hear it said and it's like, well, that's ludicrous, but we do it. 
we, we, do, we take for granted the beauty of what it is when a person really puts their hand to something and really says, hey, I want to be a great football player. I want to be a great pastor. I want to be, be a phenomenal business person. I'm going to start a business and I want it to make something unique as a contribution. Or I'm a stay-at-home parent. I don't want to be just somebody who's around. I want to be somebody here who, who keeps the true north of this house set on the gospel. I, I want to be somebody that as a mother, I'm... My kids know not just that I'm around and I'm there for them. I want them to know that, but I want them to know more than that. I want them, I want to care for them. I'm going to drive them to be the best version of themselves in the best possible ways, keeping Christ the center of their lives. I'm not going to take a bad set of priorities and, and force that onto them. I'm going to teach them what's important. Uh, I'm going to take care of myself so that when everybody comes home from school and work and everything like that, that the best version of myself is waiting for them. You know, going at it with that kind of missional take, right? I'm going to be the best version of this. It takes, take a hold of the opportunity that God has given me. Well, then we come to sloth, right? And that's why I think God looks and it's like, sloth is the biblical equivalent of wasting your life. And that's why I think God takes it seriously. If you do a search in the Proverbs for sloth, laziness, or sluggard, uh, your screen will light up. You'll see dozens of them. Not, you know, and I'm only going to give you four to start. I picked the first four that I saw. I read all of them, picked the first four because it's almost like, okay, which of these are? Like, this is amazing. Like, you can sit there and it's just proverb after proverb after proverb after proverb about not being lazy. Don't be a sluggard. Consider the ant, oh sluggard. It works. Look at those little guys go do their thing, carrying rocks three times their body size back to the, you know, pay attention to how the ants do their business, oh sluggard. So here's four. Proverbs 19.15. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless go hungry. Proverbs 10, verse 4. Lazy hands make for poverty. But diligent hands bring wealth. These next two are, are classic. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. So picture eating chips and salsa with somebody. They, they, they take the chip, they put it in the salsa, but they're too lazy to bring it back to their mouth. <laughs> Proverbs has a way with words. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. Oh, I know everything. Sluggard is always wise in his own eyes. And then this one, sharp as a sword. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy, become a slave. Proverbs 12, 24. All right, well, what's the big deal? Why is this such a big deal? Why is it that Scripture keeps talking about this throughout the Bible? You get really pointed texts like 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If a person is unwilling to work, then they shall not eat. I mean, Wow. Okay, what is the deal? Why, why is this such a big deal? Because in the eyes of Scripture, whatever we do, not just your job, by the way, but it, your job too, we do it for God. It's all done unto the Lord, as Colossians will say in a second. It is the Lord Jesus we are serving. So when you're slacking, you're slacking on Jesus. You're not just slacking on your boss your coach, your kids, your wife, 
They're slacking on the Lord. So here's what Colossians says. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, you can underline that part in your Bible. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, with all your heart, all your heart, as working for the Lord. As working for the Lord. For the Lord. Not for human masters. Not for human masters. Since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. He pays a good wage, I hear. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That's the line. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Okay. So the big point here is this one. We'll camp here for a second. And then I've got a couple of other things just kind of from broader texts in the Bible, big themes to share with you. But the first one's this. It's a clear message of this text. God is our true boss. And that, by the way, that's fantastic news. So if you have a boss, you know, that is just a complete jerk, uh, makes you feel small all the time, doesn't seem to know what they're doing, there's some hope here because all of a sudden I realize, okay, I'm not doing, I don't, I don't put out my best there just because I think I ought to or just because they're so worth it. They're not worth it. They're not worth it. We don't need to lie to ourselves about it. We do it because God has put us in that time and in that place and in that spot. And through what we do, we glorify God by what we do. So you can pass right over, you know, the, the, the guy that probably should be behind you on the pecking order of your company. But it, somehow, because he's related to somebody who ended up above you, and now he is precocious and mean uh, and capricious and, 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 and smells bad and and whatever else the problem is, and you can understand, okay, I don't, I'm not really working for him. I'm working for somebody a lot better than he is, more righteous, more kind than she is. And you, you go, okay, that's good news. And Paul points everybody there at Colossae because he understands that it matters who it is that's asking us to do something. And he's saying God is asking this, you to do this. This is not just whoever asking you to do this, your boss or whoever. God is asking you, the Lord Jesus is the one you're serving, right? And it does matter, right? So later today, your phone's going to ring. You'll pick it up, you will look at the screen, and you will make a decision whether you want to pick, uh, pick up the call or not based on who's on that screen. If it starts with 888, you probably won't get it. If it says scam likely, you probably won't pick it up. If it's the person that makes you cringe when you see their name, you will not pick it up. But if it's somebody you love, somebody you care about, if it's the girl that you've been hoping would return your call, man, like Tombstone, Arizona, out comes, hit the green emoji, let's go, right? It matters. It matters. If a random stranger hits you up on the way back to your car, homeless guy, stranger, they come up to you and they say, hey, uh, hey man, can I have a dollar? Whatever. Maybe you give them a dollar, maybe you don't. Probably not. If later today, somebody who you really care about, one of your kids, a best friend from, for, for life, calls you up and says, man, I really need 500 bucks, or they're going to they're gonna repossess my car, or they're, I'm going to get evicted. You might give them 500 without even really thinking about it, if you had it, right? It matters, does it not? Who asks stuff of you? You're on your way to work in a car, 
You've been hitting traffic the whole stinking way there. You've got a really important meeting in 10 minutes. You're almost there, but you're at that dreaded light that has the big long line to make the left, and so it takes you about five times through the light to make the left. You finally get to the front. Here's the green, and here comes an ambulance. And you're sitting there at the light, and you're like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way. What luck this is. How could somebody get hurt when I'm on my way to work? You know, and you start getting resentful and mad, and we've all been there, right? Well, if it was somebody you really cared about, and they were hurting, and they needed an ambulance, you might run out in the street by yourself and stop traffic to get them to stop. See what he's doing here? What Paul's doing. He's saying, hey, listen, you're not doing it because your boss is worth it or just because. Think about who's asking you this. It is the Lord Jesus you're serving. It's not the loser in the C-suite. It's not just so you can get a paycheck. You work hard because God is asking you to. And that should be enough. What would we not give if Jesus asked, us, asked it of us? I would hope nothing. And so the one who's laid his life down for us before you know, we actually acknowledged him. He laid his life down for us so that our sins might be forgiven, so our life would have purpose and put the Holy Spirit of God in us that produces all the fruit of work ethic. Says, now, work for me. Work for me. Go to school for me. Teach for me. Pastor for me. Be a police officer for me. Well, that changes everything, right? It changes everything. Likewise, what we do and the attitude with which we do it is often rooted in why we do it and who we do it for. It's not because our work is just intrinsically important, although we talked about that. There is some intrinsic value to work itself. But because God is worth it and he is our true boss. Now, for some... This may actually not be that exciting a news because that may mean, oh, no, I have to raise my game now because now I realize I'm not working for this guy or this gal. I am working for God. And so now I have to raise my game. Good. Love your boss. Jesus Christ. World's best boss. Let's get him a mug. Better, let's get him a devoted servant. Let's, let's give him our best. Now, there are a couple of other things uh, that Scripture, if you take, start going around and pulling out other Scriptures and looking at them, there's a, a jet stream of thought, and they're, they're like, it's like two jet streams kind of coming together, like a weather system. One heads one way and one heads the other way. And we're going to talk about rhythm and life balance. I don't think balance exists, so we're going to use rhythm next week, how you balance work, life, and all that stuff, and put it all together. But the jet stream, one, one of them heads this way. And it says, hey, listen, hard work will prepare you for hard life. Ephesians 6, Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God. But before he talks about the full armor and describes it, he explains why we need to wear it. Very important. Finally, he says, this is Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that 
you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that, and here's the, here's the payoff, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. He's saying the battle is going to find you. It's coming. So you put on the full armor of God so that you can go into battle, and when the battle is over, you're still standing. Satan's the one that's lying in the dust. You're still standing. That's why you put it on. He says the battle's coming. Put it on. Hard work prepares us for hard life. You work hard now so that when things get bad, you are ready for when it gets bad. Uh, I remember I loathed my, my baseball coach in high school. That's, that's really the right word, loathe. I didn't like him. He had a terrible personality. He was mean. Um, he was also the soccer coach and, and thought that uh, running was the answer to everything. So when in doubt, just run somewhere. And so he would make us run especially the pitchers, which running for pitchers is, is common for people to have to run a lot, but not like this. This was, my daughter is now running cross country, and I had to run more every day than the cross country runners run now, every day, before I started practice. So it was just an obscene amount of running, so to this day, I hate running. I hate it. All right, so he would go, all right, hey, uh, start five miles before practice starts. Five miles, guys. Come on, dude. Like, so anyways, we're overdoing it uh, all the way through the season. Season ends, there's this thing called American Legion where they would take a couple players off each of the teams, put them together, and, and take a cluster of teams, and those guys would play a couple of, you know, everybody else would do it in another league, and they'd play each other. It was on Sunday afternoon. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was about this hot today. It was, it was north of 100. Game was in Norwalk. I remember that. Which, if you don't, Norwalk is kind of near Downey. And uh, it's one of those places that L.A., all the smog kind of blows out. And if, it, if there's not a breeze in Norwalk, it sits there. It was hot. I get done. I'm changing into my uniform in the back of the car because the rule was you can go when church is over. So I was like, all right, get done. Game starts at 1. Service was at 11 in Long Beach. Changing everything, get in there. I get out there. We had two pitchers on the team, me and one other guy. So I get out there. It's absolutely swampy. I get out there, I throw seven, we're tied 1-1. So I've thrown seven. Back then they didn't have pitch counts, they had innings limits. You could pitch 10 a week. So I sit there, I'm like, all right, uh, I'm done for the day. Coach says, sit down, you know, we'll have so-and-so take it from there. So he gets up, starts warming up in the bullpen, then starts throwing up in the bullpen. The coach comes back to me and he says, hey, can you, can you keep going? And of course I'm like, there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to keep going. It's freaking hot. Uh, I, I've pretty much done my dues here. And at another level, I said, I, we really didn't have a choice. It was like that, or you pick some kid who'd probably thrown in Little League and put him on the mound against these mashers. So he's like, okay, you, yeah, I'll keep going. So we end up winning the game in 10. I throw all 10. We win two to one. And I had the epiphany. Ah. He had me running not for, so I would be in shape for normal games. It was so, if I have to throw 10 in Norwalk at a, 
you know, 105 against great players, I have the stamina to do it. I get it. I still load them, but I got it. You're, you're preparing me for the game I might play, right? And there's going to be a game like that. I mean, watching high school football players play this weekend in that heat, I mean, unbelievable, right? And you're going, but that's why you overtrain on the front side. The reason you work hard, and by the way, I'll just go ahead and take the pivot to the character piece of this here. The reason you work hard on your character, Jesus will say this in Matthew 7, the parable of the two houses, one built on rock, one built on sand. They face the same storm, one stands, one falls. It's where it was built. Who took the time and prepared their life for the storm? That's the house that stays put. The one who hears the words of Jesus and does them. It says in Matthew 7, right? So hard work as you're doing it, it's like, it's like running too much so that if you have to put out way too much energy, you are ready. Paul says the same thing. This spiritual battle, it's not even against flesh and blood. It's way beyond that. It's against the principalities and the powers of the dark world that we're in. This is not patty cake, the world that we're living in. If we haven't gathered that by now, I hope we have. We're, we're in, and if you aren't right now, you are in a war whether you realize it or not. But there will be a point in time where it will be unequivocally clear to you that there is spiritual conflict. And something big is going to be called for. And if you haven't trained for it, you'll know you haven't trained for it at the time. It's like watching a, a boxer that's out of shape go into the ring against peak Mike Tyson. Be over in less than a minute. And Paul's saying, listen, you put on the full armor of God because it's like a, it's like a young man who's getting ready to go to the prom with the girl of his dreams. That has no idea how to put on his tuxedo. And it takes an hour and a half to put the stupid thing on because he has no idea what he's doing. And he does it with great joy because he knows I'm going to take some pictures tonight, and I'm going to look my best. But you're going to have her hands full with me tonight is what the guy's thinking. I'm going to look my best for her. So I will put it on. I'm going to look my best. I'm going to show up in a good mood. Put on the full armor of God because the battle is coming for you. He says, you put it on. Sword, shield, helmet, belt, breastplate. You put it on, and you may not feel like you need it every day because you don't feel like you're in a battle every day. There's going to come a time, and you don't know when it's going to be. You don't, you, you don't know when one of your kids is going to flip out. Now, all of a sudden, this is going to, it's going to pull you in this direction. But if you haven't, if you try to find a spiritual life at that point in time, that's a hard time to do it. I will just tell you as a pastor, watching different members of the church go through COVID, that the people who had a vibrant, healthy spiritual life when it hit did way better than the people who didn't and tried to create a spiritual life during COVID. Because one was ready, one was not. Now, it was hard on everybody. So there was a battle that everybody faced, but some fared better and some didn't. Some people had no helmet, no breastplate, no belt, and they went in there and, and, and took shots. Some didn't make it from a spiritual standpoint. But then you had people 
who have been ready for this. They've been training for this. They, God had made them ready. And man, I saw the best out of them. It was almost like they hulkified. They just, they just you know, you know and, and all of a sudden, they were just doing stuff that you just didn't even know they were capable of. They were ready. Now, I'll make a caveat here, or offer you a caveat. We can often work really hard at the wrong things. So what you're working on does matter. Like, I think in the eyes of God, I mean, there are people who work harder on their tans than they do their spiritual life. Uh, and and I, can, I can look, at, at, you know, there are people that will, if I ask them, hey, can you tell me, when's your next vacation? Have you booked your tickets, et cetera? Oh, yeah. At six months from now, we're going to Hawaii. Yeah, we already booked our tickets. We have the hotel. We have all this. Okay. Uh, when, have you made any plans to develop your spiritual life? Yeah, you know, I, you know, I've, yeah, you know, I've been meaning to for a while now. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Have you, have you thought about making a plan to figure out how can I be the best mom I can possibly be for my kid? And plan that way. Put the energy there. So that you don't end up becoming king or queen of the wrong hill at the end of the day. Working really hard at things that don't matter much. And then not, you know, and then... And then you know, really not being ready for the battle that's there. So it's about also working at the right things. Let me flip this around. So you have one jet stream, which is hard work prepares us for hard life. And on the other hand, hard work makes life easier is the other one. I know that sounds a little counterintuitive. How could hard, li- how could hard work make life easier? It, that by definition, that's hard work, which means it's hard. No, here, look, bear with me a second. It does prepare us for hard times, like I said, but it also limits the amount of hard times you have. Because what it does is it helps you create less unforced errors in your life. A, a couple who is very vigilant, for instance, about working on their relationship and their marriage all the time, when all of a sudden there's a test down the road, first of all, they don't do things that, that drive a, a, a truck loaded with dynamite into their life by doing something really bad because they've been working on their relationship the whole time. It's a priority for them. They're working on it, right? So that keeps them from some of the pitfalls that you might have if you're not working on it all the time. If you're a couple that's very uh, diligent about working on stewardship, making sure you're not spending more money than you bring in, saving money for when the time comes or whatever, that tends to limit the amount of bankruptcies you go through. Does that make sense? So it's both. It's, it's saying, okay, I'm going to work hard here. So that I don't have to work three times as hard to, uh, to uh, deal with the crisis that I have created. Because a lot of the things in our lives that we think are just bad luck or unfair are often cases where we just should have been more prepared. So again, just bear with me a second. People who are diligent at working on these things that are of massive importance, they are less likely to hit massive turmoil in their marriage. And then when they do, they are used to working hard on it. Um, If you interview dads with daughters in this room, I have three. I went to a ball game with two guys the other day. Between the three of us, we have 11 daughters and no sons. I contributed three. So we were talking at the ball game because I'm the older guy among the three of us. And uh, they were asking me, hey, you know, your daughters are dating. You know, what, 
how do you deal with that? And what, what do you look for? How do I see the, the warning flags? And I said, to be honest with you, I said, one of the top things for me is work ethic. If somebody wants to marry one of my daughters, you will be a hard worker or you will never get my blessing <laughs> ever. Uh, here's why. Um, if, if you having to make lunch for yourself is a matter of, of great effort in your life, why, can, why would I expect that you will do whatever it takes to provide for your family when you can't even provide for yourself? Food that's already given to you, and you don't even want to make it. Because I know enough to know there are going to be significant, massive challenges down the road, and I want to know if you're going to marry my daughter and be the dad of my grandkids. Are you going to do whatever it takes in as much as it depends on you to help provide for that family? And when you guys hit difficulties, are you going to work at it? Or are you going to be one of these kind of modern-day mopey dudes that sits around and goes, ah, you know, love's just not supposed to be this hard. Maybe, maybe we're not supposed to be together if it's hard. Love's hard. Read 1 Corinthians 13. It does talk about the beauty of love. But look at what it says love is. It's patient, which means something that might make you impatient might be taking place. Love bears all things. But if you can't bear to make lunch for yourself... How are you going to bear all things? You know what I mean? If, if you guys get into trouble, are you going to work at this? Do you have the work ethic spiritually? Are you going to work on yourself every day so that when you guys are together and my daughter and those kids, or whatever, if God blesses you with kids, are you going to work at it to such a point that I'm not going to have my daughter is not going to have to drag you around by the nose trying to get you to be a man. Because I'm raising three pretty strong girls. They're going to take care of themselves. They're going to have their value systems intact. In, in They're hard workers. They're going to do it. Are you going to do it? Are you going to be El Flaco? And are you going to be, you know, sitting around the house moping where she's got to wake you up every day? Sluggard? All right. I think most dads look for that. And it's not just because they don't want to have to pay the tab for things. They want to know, is my daughter going to marry a man or a man-child? Is she marrying a boy who happens to shave? Right? And you can flip it around. It's not just guys to daughters, but I will tell you, just I've only got daughters, and that's how I feel. But I think it's, there's some biblical basis in it because of, a person who is diligent at what they do, uh, a person who, if they're in school, they're studying hard. They're aspiring to stuff. They're saying, hey, I don't want to waste my life. I want to, I want to, I want to finish school. I want to do it well. I want to, you know, here's what I want to do with my life because I feel like God's given me one life. He doesn't want me to waste this. So I'm not going to. I'm going to take, I'm going to seize the life that he's given me. I'm going to do everything I can with it. Right? That, that is the heart of what's going on here. Whatever you do, whatever you do, he says, 
You do it unto the Lord because you're not working for human masters. You are working for Jesus. The desire to work hard is a spiritual matter. And so if you're looking for the how-tos, I only have one I can offer you. There's really only one the Bible gives you. They give you two. One, it starts in here. The fruit of the Spirit. One of them is long-suffering. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It comes from God. Those are the things that come from God and work ethic. It's what drives Jacob to wait 14 years to get Rachel. It's what causes Adam to do and finally be responsible in ways that he's not right away, but he gets the message eventually and works hard. Jesus goes all the way to the cross to fulfill his mission and tells us, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross daily and follow me. A cross. Paul says, put on your armor. There's a battle coming. Um, so it starts in here. starts in here. But if we're going, to, once you get beyond this piece, it really is just a matter of actually doing it. You notice what he says in Ephesians 6? Put on the full armor. How am I supposed to do that? You put it on. You put it on. Jocko Willink, um, former Navy SEAL commander, wrote this book called Discipline uh, Equals Freedom. And uh, I actually, before he wrote that, I used to say discipline is the key to freedom. I would say that around our house all the time uh, to much groaning uh, with our kids. But he wrote a book, Discipline Equals Freedom, and in it he has this great little section. I've read it to you before, but it's been a couple of years, and it's just good. I'm sorry, I'm going to read it to you again. In the spirit of just doing what you're asked to do. When, when the scriptures say, be strong and courageous, how do I be strong and courageous? You just be strong and courageous. <laughs> when, when Proverbs will say, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Like it sounds so simple, well, well it's easy for you to say, no, you just do it. So Jocko writes this, he goes, people ask me, how do I get tougher? Be tougher. <laughs> How can I wake up early in the morning? Wake up early. This is very profound stuff. How can I work out consistently every day? Work out consistently every day. <laughs> How can I stop eating sugar? Stop eating sugar. He says, you can control your emotions. How can I stop missing that girl or guy or whoever broke up with me? Stop missing them. You have control over your mind. You just have to assert it. And I, again, I used to go, oh, you know, um, you know, that's easy for him to say, or that's just how he's wired, and, you know, and everything like that. But Scripture says the same. It talks very similarly. Whatever you do, work as unto the Lord. How do I work as unto the Lord? You work as unto the Lord. Right? So there's a part of it that's spiritual, right? The want to, the drive, right? That's a work that God does in us as we're continuing to go, and then it's doing it. 
Be strong and courageous and don't be afraid. Well, how do I not be afraid? You don't be afraid. You keep going. You meet Goliath in the valley. You pick up the slingshot and the rocks and you go. And so there's this piece of, well, how do I get the strength to do that? That's a work God's doing in here. But then there's the doing. How do I focus on building my character? You focus on building your character. You clear out whatever it is that might get in the way, and you start making, taking inst- intentional steps. We'll talk about this next week on how to, on putting the right things in the right places. First, you make those things a priority. But at the end of the day, what you don't want to do is say, boy, you know what? Like when you're, when you're dead and gone or when you meet the Lord someday, that, that God meets you and he says, hey, what happened with that third of your life that, that I gave you? When you were awake uh, and you weren't doing leisure, like when you were actually doing your vocation, whatever, and you go, yeah, but, but have you seen my Instagram account? And check out the selfies. Nobody took better selfies, Lord. Nobody. You expect bravo. You expect. It's not about. It's not. It's about effort in the right places. Knowing the battle's coming, right? And so Paul just simply says to us, "Look, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, understand it all goes and is offered toward the Lord. So you work at it with all your heart, knowing." That it's not human masters you're serving, but it's the Lord Jesus you're serving. So then, if it is the Lord Jesus we're serving, then how should we serve? Work with all your heart. Because you have the world's best boss. And he pays well, it says. There's an inheritance at the end of this deal. God God is not... uh, irrational or ungrateful or anything like that. He says, there's an inheritance waiting for you too. Way beyond a living wage, you're going to get the reward that God has in store for you. And so Paul does us a great favor, both with helping us understand God is our primary boss and that hard work trains us for hard life when it happens, prepares us for hard life. And then same time, hard work also makes life easier. And so what I'd like to do now as we gather around the Lord's table, um, and you should have received the communion elements on your, on your way in, uh, the bread and the cup, which represents the body and blood of Jesus. If you didn't, just kind of throw a hand in there and we'll bring it to you. I want you to think through uh, your, the air, big areas of your life. We've got some here in the front and kind of over here on the side. Uh, it's... It all starts with the spiritual life, which flows then into the big aspects of life, family, work, and self. Okay? But it, the fountain is the spiritual life. Take a look at those areas of your life as we, as we are reflecting here. Uh, and I'm asking you to offer this to God, the reflection time. And just say, okay, among these, first of all, let's check the spiritual life, the fountain from which it all flows. And then between those other three areas, uh, where maybe do I need to pay more attention? What piece of my armor might be missing? Is it family? Is it office? Uh, Or is it self? You treat yourself poorly. There's ain't nothing left of you. All right? So that matters too. 
love your neighbor as yourself assumes we, you love yourself. That's why he says it that way. Because he knows we all are supposed to love ourselves. But one of those three, okay? Start with the spirit. Let it flow out into the, those three areas of life. And just ask yourself as we take communion together, um, where maybe we need to take a step today. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we remember these words of Scripture as we take communion. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And Father, with that spirit of serving Christ, we gather now around the communion table and we say thank you, Father, for giving us the best boss in the world, one who's compassionate and kind and calls us to lives of significance and meaning. And so, Father, would you please show us where you want us to take the step, what you want us to do, and would you, Father, begin that work in us today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.